this is Pop Fizz, episode three, from Furious Feminisms to a World of Horror, part two. Hey, and here we are for... Welcome back! Yeah. <laughs> part two of episode three. Um, and that means it's my turn to do a fiction? Yes. <laughs> I will do a fiction. Um, and the topic I brought is video game. Uh, which technically is a work of fiction. Yeah. Um, so I, t- today my thing is World of Horror, which is a game you can get on the Switch, the PS4, Steam, probably other online like computer programs that I'm not aware of. Um, it is designed, or it's developed by Panstaz, designed by Powell, Paul, 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 Paul Kaminsky, Paul K, Paul K did it, and <laughs> <laughs> and in Yearsbird Games um, we missed published our it. Calling. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry, uh, but I'm still going to talk about this game. Um, it is heavily based on the works of Junji Ito, who is a Japanese horror manga writer. And before we go too into the weeds of World of Horror, because we are talking about scary things, uh, this is a good segue to uh, to plug Amanda's new exciting project. Yeah. So shameless self plug moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so on June the 9th, I have uh, actually a story that's coming out in a book published by. Mythic Delirium uh, is a small press in Southwest Virginia, and uh, this story is called Viridian, and it's coming out in a book called A Sinister Quartet, Four Long Tales of Dark Fantasy and Horror. So if you like, uh, basically, yeah, like if you like um, cannibalistic angels or... (laughs) Is it cannibalism if you're eating humans when you're an angel? If you like angels that eat people. <laughs> is it your grandma's angel or is it like a seraphim? It's like seraphim. Yeah. <laughs> Might um, not be cannibalism. <laughs> like, uh, if you also like evil fairies, ghost stories, and uh, bluebeard tales, if you like flesh monsters if you like any of those strange weird and horrific things then this is the book for you it's actually four um stories one very short novel and three novellas that were written by myself cse cooney jessica p wick mike allen and you know they're all great writers they've been great to work with so i hope that everybody enjoys I'm excited about it, um, and I really love the fact that it, it segues into this. Um, World of Horror is really cool. I've been mostly watching Let's Plays of it because I love watching Let's Plays of scary of scary games, and I'm probably not alone considering the careers of Markiplier and PewDiePie and a lot of other guys. <laughs> people love watching people be scared. Um, this game stands out to me. I think that there's been a trend since like Five Nights at Freddy's which is like a decade old at this point, but there has been a trend with horror games, which is a lot of jump scares, a lot of first person navigating a space, um, 
on things kind of coming out at you. That's also making me think a little bit of, you know, amnesia, that series. Um, and this is a big departure from it. It's a role-playing game and it's, it's, it's kind of hypnotic to watch because it's got this, the art style is really evocative of this manga style to start. So there's this beautiful black and white screen that has all these details, all this information that's packed into it. And it's kind of the longer that you look at it, the more you find, the more you understand. There's a lot of really cool, um, like you, you're basically a, a person in a Japanese town and, um, and a, a dark God has awoken or is awakening. And it depends on the game. You can actually kind of choose which Eldritch horror is awakening, but they are awakening and it's doing things to the town. And so you're trying to figure out what's going on and the, the, the structure of a basic game. So the way that the game works is that you start, you can kind of pick your character, um, but you are some person and you will investigate five mysteries. And those mysteries are sort of randomly picked by the game. There are, I think, about 20 in total. And you have the option of going and investigating all of these mysteries. And as you do that, you kind of have a choice in resource management. The more you investigate, the more you will learn about what's really happening. There are different like A, B, C, D endings. And the C ending, for example, might be, you found the killer and you stopped the killer. Good for you. Um, but you never really understood some of the weird stuff that happened, but you like found the man murdering everybody. But then if you get the B level or the, the A level ending, you'll be like, well, it's because his body grows <laughs> like loops like taffy. And that was how he was able to kill people in all of these different ways. Or something. Oh my like God. You find out. <laughs> and and the more you investigate, the more you risk your sanity, your stamina. You have a bunch of other traits. Um, you can get allies. One of my favorite things is that you can find a dog trapped in the woods and then the dog will like travel with you. And they will like, when you're traveling places, it cuts to these cute little chivvies and you see the little chivvy dog <laughs> following your character. You can recruit friends, your neighbors. Um, and it's sort of a random game so that no two playthroughs really look the same. Uh, what will happen as you investigate keeps changing. You will run into different Japanese monsters. And these monsters are so heavily inspired by Junji Ito. And where it gets really fun and where I'm really, really happy that this exists is Junji Ito's horror style is extremely weird. It's not, um, it's not there's killer who will jump out with a knife. It is like one of his most famous works is Uzumaki, which is the horror of everything becoming consumed by spirals. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, uh, and you'll, you'll see the visuals, like the girl's hair is just turning into spirals above her head. And like slowly everything about her turns into a spiral or like humans turning into snails or bodies morphing into, um, there's a lot of body horror. It's really, Oh my God. Jane, I have to tell you about like two animes. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> So Please. the first one, which I've never actually finished because I couldn't, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of amazing and I should probably go back and try, but I couldn't. It was um, Higurashi no Nakukorani, something like that. When Higurashi. they cry? When they cry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and 
every single episode for people who haven't watched it. It's this That includes boy. me, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I do know about it, but I haven't seen it. So I, I think I got several episodes in. A friend of mine gave it to me. Um, but in every single episode, there's a boy. He comes to town. He meets all these little girls in his class. There's like five or ten of them, or five of them, I think. Every single episode ends in some terrible, horrible thing happening, and he dies. And Or someone dies in a terrible way. And then at the beginning of the next episode, there's a boy. He comes to town. Like... like Groundhog's Day but murder yes it is exactly like Groundhog's Day but murder so I think what the overall plot which mild spoilers ends up being is that one of the characters and I can't remember which one is trying to figure out how to escape Mm -hmm. from dying I can't imagine why (laughs) right Uh, so So that character keeps resetting, but the main character is this boy who comes to town who like kicks everything off, kicks off this like particular series of events um, that leads to everybody getting murdered. And, (laughs) And there's like a God, I think the reason I thought of it is there's a God that I think is kind of the reason that everyone's getting murdered. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, this anime was actually one of the first times that I really became aware of how um, anime uses nature sounds to evoke different things. Yeah. Um, Because one of the things that is pretty consistent in that anime is um, that there's the sound of like over and over just like screaming which is a pretty common like summer sound in a lot of animes but it becomes almost I mean like it's set within summer and it becomes almost ominous at points because there's just all this like these like screaming cicadas anyway that's really um I've heard this before and I don't know how true it is but I've heard the idea that um in part because Japan is an island and it is subject to tsunamis and, you know, and so much devastation environmentally that Japanese horror tends to have a focus more on the powerlessness of the individual, which is very Lovecraftian, but a little distinct um, because it's not like one person discovering the horror of an uncaring universe. It's like this community, like going to Uzumaki or going to When They Cry, um, it, the, these are stories about communities that are almost normalized to the fact that they're being screwed with by this larger uncaring force. Um, and that's really what I, what I see in Junji Ito's stuff, because a lot of his horror stories, it, they're not malevolent, but they're wrong. Like, um, there's a story about, um, one of the first ones I ever really found of his that I really like and it's it's still like one of my favorite horror stories is um and I am blanking on the name which is bad but everyone who knows Junji Ito will know what I'm talking about and everyone who doesn't can very easily find it um it's uh this fault line and there are human body shapes in the fault line that gets discovered and one by one people are like but that's me like that outline that's my body and they're drawn to it nobody really knows why and 
this town, people just start migrating and taking their clothes off and getting into the hole that is their hole. And then they just disappear and you don't know what happens to them until the end of the story. And that, that horror, it's, it's a, it's a piece of mountain. (laughs) That is the monster. (laughs) Um, It's the fact that people are being drawn in, that they're like, that's me. And I'm supposed to go into this hole. One of the reasons that I love anime so much when I love it, which, you know, obviously I have a a little bit of a love-hate relationship with anime because I do think that a lot of times, a lot of very popular animes replicate like really pretty toxic tropes about um, both men and women, but there's some amazing stuff in anime despite that, like just really beautiful things. And one of the, uh, the other anime I wanted to tell you about was Mushishi. Oh, okay. Is, you know, won a bunch of awards is absolutely gorgeous animation style. One of the things that's so interesting about Mushishi is you were talking about like Japanese horror as like, to some extent feeling like, um uh like like there's a whole like subgenre of it that has to do with the natural world being mm-hmm. uncontrollable or overwhelming yeah and in mushishi the concept is that there are these like spirit creatures that are called mushi who just like by their existence create these incredibly messed up tragedies um and they don't always create tragedy but like nine times out of ten it's pretty (laughs) bad (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so the but what's interesting about it is the story structure is um there's a guy who happens to be a mushishi which in this world is a is basically like a a person who studies or treats um, ailments that are to do with mushi. And so these little spirit creatures. And so he like goes from place to place and almost every episode is its own self-contained short story, basically mm-hmm. with him as the protagonist where he encounters a new kind of mushi doing something real weird. And <laughs> <laughs> And usually, like, one of the ones that was the most upsetting for me was um, there was this woman who was getting married, and they took her marriage procession through the forest, and she had, like, a green stain on her marriage hood, and her and her husband were married, and they suddenly, like, she was super pregnant. And she had the baby and the baby was like a weird green algae. And then it took the shape of her son and it wanted to like replicate or whatever. And she kept having more and more weird green algae babies. It was absolutely body horror meets like nature horror. And it was terrifying and it was deeply sad. Like the ending was not necessarily a happy one. But it's all told in this absolutely beautiful illustration style with this just sedate pacing that's um, really, 
I think is purely like reserved for anime to some extent like this like leaning into the art over like having to get to the next thing in a story does that make sense it absolutely does and it's um you know some medium have abilities to create certain mood and atmosphere and do certain types of storytelling what i would even call interstitial storytelling because there's the there's me telling you and then this happened um and that's sort of filler words because me going and then you're not really paying attention to that you want to know what the, the this part is and and then right. um the giant balloon head came and killed everyone but the interstitial part is usually where the medium is the most powerful because it can do transitions like i'm talking right now so i'm limited by what i can say but if it's anime there are certain things especially in the language of anime and the types of music and styles that can be conveyed to keep progressing the story i'm, I'm rambling but you see where i'm going <laughs> no no i mean i i would agree 100 percent um and i think I don't know, as a, as a creator, one of the things that, um, has been really inspiring to me is to try to capture some of that, um, in prose, which is very difficult as you were talking about, like to just capture it in words, because so much of it is very visually oriented, but it's, it, it's something that's really interesting to me from an artistic perspective, because there's so much there that's communicated in this like very quiet way yes i love it i love when when a horror is is subtle when uh the problem is just kind of well that's wrong and you just kind of it's wrong and it's wrongness never really goes away it never really stops it's not um like i said i i don't mind scary stuff but there's like an axe murder necessarily like jump scare stuff like yeah. yeah, that has its place and it can, it will scare me. I will scream. I, I jump scare so easy. <laughs> um, but, uh, but my favorite kind of horror, what I look for when I'm reading um, is really that deep, that subtle kind of oh, something is just wrong. And that's where Junji Ito now he has the benefit of his drawings. So it's, it's written. In fact, I think they've tried to do anime of his work and it doesn't translate as well because there's just like the starkness of his drawings they're black and white the weird way that he sets up his compositions and sort of the abrupt way that you'll suddenly be looking at something and going oh my gosh that is just wrong like it's almost a way to do a jump scare but it's more like like this dread um right in in going from panel to panel and that kind of drama with each one even when mm -hmm. i'm reading something i'm looking for a creeping a creeping horror mm -hmm. yeah and i don't know it's interesting because horror is such an interesting genre to me um in that it has so many so much utility to it one of the things that that is i've always felt and i see this in anime so much and in manga is that a lot of times horror and comedy end up like being they're best so friends. close together yeah they're best friends they it's almost like two sides of the same coin um in uh in a lot of works especially in anime and i think some of it is the almost like absurdist elements of horror there's moments and like 
when you're I think this in some of the best horror books the character definitely has moments where they kind of like look up and are just like how did I get here like (laughs) you know like like like, things escalated so fast yeah like (laughs) what what is happening like what's happening this doesn't make any sense you know like and that that absurdity um and that actually takes me in a whole different direction I'm sorry this is gonna be like way off track here (laughs) but when we were watching um Jojo Rabbit Jojo Rabbit, I think, is a good example of how closely intertwined, like, the horrific and the comedic can be because, I mean, there are definitely scenes in that movie that are, if you think about them, if you take a step back and you're just like, this is what's happening, they're horrifying, right? Like, Mm -hmm. kids, the kids burning books and, like, laughing, (laughs) you know, like... The, How about the scene of Trevor Wilson giving them the rocket launcher and the machine yeah. just says, go child, go. Yeah. The, the, when the, the kids like this, the kids that are like making fun of him go off to war. And then when they come back, like there's so like everything, pretty much everything, every single conversation he has, um, uh, that Jojo has with, the girl whose name I'm blanking on. <laughs> which makes yeah, me I feel don't know really it either. Top of my head. Just like the girl on the wall. Spoiler. The girl the wall. Spoiler, sorry. Yeah. sorry. It's not really a spoiler. It happens early. It's been out for a very long time, too. You should have watched it by now. You should watch yeah. it. I cannot remember her name, and that makes me so upset. Anyway, the point <laughs> being that every single one of their interactions is actually, if you look at it on, a, on its base level, is... It's sort of horrifying. I mean, like this and this, of course, every scene, like the scene with his mother of, and the scene at the end with the captain. I mean, like broke my heart. <laughs> every like there's so many like little moments of just like, oh, man, like this is so terrible. This thing that is happening and um that was actually one of the reasons that I went ahead and watched that movie in theaters was because someone that I followed on Twitter, I think it was probably Cameron Hurley or Chuck Wendig um, said, you need to go see this because it's about the absurdity of fascism. (laughs) Fascism being at its fundamental level, a truly horrific thing, but also inherently absurd and maybe all horror like that we write about is almost absurd in its way. Um, I've always seen horror as, um, I guess I shouldn't say I've always seen horror. That's not true. And actually when I was a really little kid, I was really into fairy tales. Um, like actually like going and finding the originals. And I think that's probably the seed that led to me liking horror stories. Mm-hmm. They're because- pretty terrifying (laughs) they're they're talking about the same side of a coin or not the same side you know two sides of of a coin um i think that uh a lot of the best horror stories not every single one um but the very best horror stories usually are playing on their culture their background and 
something that is real that they don't want to talk about. Something that is so scary, you don't want to talk about it. Or if you do, it will feel too heavy handed. For example, nobody liked, um, was it United 89 or 98? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Did you remember that movie that they made really, really shortly after 9-11 that was about the plane? I do not remember, but I do remember Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which was the most amazing book ever. That book is so good. But people didn't like the movie. And I think a big part of why people didn't like the movie is they cut out all the Dunkirk stuff and they focused in on the 9-11 stuff and it was still too soon for a lot of people Mm -hmm. to directly touch those nerves because it was so painful still. A lot of things that, and I mentioned 21 Days Later uh, as sort of my watch that movie and come back. (laughs) If you disagree with me about that being a movie heavily inspired by 9-11, watch that movie, come back. There are so many things that are um, like walls. Have you seen this person with pictures plastered on it? The the kind of cityscape, the wrecked cityscape. There's a way to tell a story about the thing that you are currently afraid of without so traumatizing your audience. You're kind of touching it, but you're not directly like pressing on a bruise. And by allowing mm-hmm. yourself this kind of abstract, supernatural, even absurd space it has to be absurd because it can't be one-to-one what it is, um, which is why Jojo Rabbit, I think, needs to have the silly Hitler played by Taika Waititi. You need somebody that elevates it beyond a place where you could take it seriously. You know it's silly, and that's the way. That's the reason you can watch it. That's the reason you can laugh or the reason you can feel. You need to have this absurdity lift you out of your own mindset and your own world, but then the, the whatever piece of art it is, kind of has the freedom to play around with your fears and kind of address them and give you catharsis for them without having to directly make you confront those same feelings in a way that you're like aware of it. And it's cool and good to feel it yourself when you're going through the thing you're afraid of. It's cool when you share the fear, uh, but it's also really cool when you can pull back and say, okay, if you look at decades, right? And different cultures, you can see what they were afraid of based on the art they created and specifically the horror that they created. Really love it. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> that might be the best time I've ever been able to explain it. Cause a lot of times I feel like the fact that I like scary stuff, people don't think there's something wrong with you for liking it, but they don't like it. <laughs> so they don't understand yeah. why you like it. Um, and that's fair. Uh, not everybody feels good watching it or gets that that feeling of catharsis and connection to other people, which weirdly well, I do. Well, <laughs> and I don't, so like, I'm not a horror movie person because it's usually too much for me. Like the visual, like I can do horror anime mm-hmm. and I can do horror stories. It's not always my like go-to because, but it is something that I can like, do and be okay but the movies a lot of times especially like slasher films and stuff there's too much visual stimulus Mm -hmm. for me i think and so it's overwhelming but i find yeah there's a lot of like very strong horror elements and a lot of science fiction and fantasy and actually one of the things that i'm finally getting around to watching is the expanse (gasps) Yay! And it's so good. And <laughs> arguably, I mean, there's some very strong horror elements in The Expanse, I think. like, Oh, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> and despite that, for whatever reason, I mean, I definitely like, you know, am like on the edge of my seat the whole time I'm watching it. But it feels, um, I guess, for whatever reason, I connect with it in a way. And I've found it very helpful to watch it during the middle of this pandemic. Because as you were saying, like, <laughs> it's so far outside of, like, my experience right now of what I'm doing on the ground like, even though I am more attracted to horror stories right now for whatever reason, I'm more, I like, I don't think I could read something um, like Wanderers right now that's, mm, that yep. is, is a, is a horror story centered in a pandemic. I was going to say, it's too close. It's too close. I think, like, a horror story set in outer space, that's great. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, and I mean, technically, I'm, The Expanse is a pandemic story, but on a really, on an interstellar level, it is a pandemic story, but it's so out there <laughs> for what it is um, that it doesn't feel like it. It's not, you're actually thinking about, could this happen to us? We're nowhere near like having war between the Terrans and the Martians and the outer planets. <laughs> Um, so I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I, I agree that I keep seeing ads, uh, like people, and I feel bad. There are people making content discussing stories that are about pandemics. And I see that pop up on my YouTube recommended and I like the creators. So part of me wants to watch it, but I don't because I don't want to be reminded by it right now. I don't, I don't want to see more of that. I think this is why everyone's obsessed with the Tiger King, or they were at the time we re-recorded this. Maybe now we've well, moved past him. I doubt it. <laughs> but I, I think for a lot of people, they have the opposite response. Like I know several people who've watched Outbreak in the past week, like gone back and watched huh. it, or who are watching like pandemic documentaries on Netflix or whatever. And it's, I think it's a version of, um, uh, like gazing into the void. Yeah. or something <laughs> like like <laughs> or maybe like they want to learn more because there's so little that we can know about what's going on right now they want something that they feel like they're they've learned something there's control I don't or know. you know like there's a narrative that shows that people may come out of something like this kind of thing I don't know like yeah. um I I kind of see that there may be a resurgence in uh pandemic stories in the next like couple years just oh, yeah <laughs> because it because people are gonna be trying to learn like process some of like what's happening in our world in different ways so we are we are nearing the end but before we go that reminded me of a Junji Ito story um yeah that is so so crazy that it it cannot be something that's a one to one of anyone's experience right now, but is also extremely relatable. So it's the story where people see balloons coming out of the sky, and those balloons have faces, and they look like specific people. Um, and once the balloons get closer to Earth, you can see that there's a, a noose at the end. Um, this is disturbing. It is disturbing, and what what is happening is that the balloons are looking for their people and then kill them. Great. And so we follow. So it's like reverse it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
it looks like you and you don't want it to find you. <laughs> and it's really freaky. And there's a lot of parts of the story. I don't want to ruin if you, if you, um, watch it or you read it, uh, cause you can watch a lot of this on YouTube. A lot of people have made edit cuts of his stories. Um, or if you want to buy that and read it yourself, but, um, uh, with the story, what ends up happening is that everybody ends up trapped inside and afraid to go out. Oh my God. So it's really relatable of the sense of like, are you running low on food? <laughs> Maybe it's too real. Maybe it is too real, but it's, um, again, it's so far out there. It's not what you're actually dealing with, but it's, everybody is stuck inside and scared. And hopefully by the time this plays, people aren't, and they're remembering how much it sucked. Um, but if it isn't, you really need to hear it. It's like, we're, we're, the good news, I guess, because I want to end the scary podcast on good news. Um, the world is scary enough. Everything is scary. Um, I know everybody's trying to figure out a way to handle that fear, and that's healthy. Um, so we're not going to be trapped hiding from our giant balloons forever. <laughs> uh, and I'm looking forward to going outside and seeing all of this scary stuff that people make to process how they're feeling right now. That sounds like an excellent future. So <laughs> a future without balloons. It's, it's something I dream about. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, on that note, um, Oh, uh, leave your favorite scary story or scary trope yes yeah if you have a favorite scary story then email to it to us at realpop.fizz at gmail.com and we will uh perhaps look into it maybe it'll end up on the podcast so yeah uh but everybody stay healthy and well and we will see you next month <laughs>